Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now enjoy the message. We're going to begin a new series where we are exploring uh, what I believe to be the essential, fundamental, foundational element of our Christian experience, and that's our faith. I believe this morning that really we have an enemy, and I don't believe that the enemy is really after our homes. I don't think he's after our marriages. He didn't want to be married to them either. <laughs> I don't think he's after our kids. Uh, most people you know, would rather have a different set from time to time. I don't think he's after our jobs. He wouldn't want to go there either. Here's what I think the devil's after. I think he's after our faith. Now understand, if he can get our faith, he can get our marriage. If he can get our faith, he can get our kids. If he can get our faith, he can get our job. If he can get our faith, he can get everything that is near and dear to us. So the assault by the enemy is primarily on our faith. Faith is foundational, as I said. It is the very thing you and I build our lives on. I mean, you can lose everything in life, but if you have faith, you can begin again. It is foundational, it is fundamental, and therefore it is the very thing the enemy tries to assault. So as I begin to try to set the table for the series, I wanna to talk to you guys this morning about the power of faith, the power of your personal faith. I don't want you to underestimate how powerful faith can be in your life. Now when you study faith in scripture and you read what some of the writers have written, you think sometimes that they have written things that almost appear to be contradictory. For example, Paul talks about faith. He said faith is the way to God. He said without faith you can never know God and you are to demonstrate faith uh, without works. Uh, for by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Then James comes along, and James says, well, faith without works is dead. And then James says, show me your faith without your works, I'll show you my faith by my works. Now when you read that, it sounds contradictory, doesn't it? How do you square that circle? How, how, do, you, how do you understand what these two writers were writing about? Well, it's easy when you understand it this way. When Paul was writing, Paul was saying faith is how I am made right in the eyes of God. Faith justifies us in the eyes of God. When James was writing, James says faith justifies us in the eyes of other people, right? So by faith I'm made just in the eyes of God, and by my works I am made just in the eyes of other people. Uh, people uh, watch what you do and what you and I do speak so loud they don't hear what we say. And so I'm suggesting to you that one of the ways whereby a genuine faith is demonstrated is how I live my life. Remember the Bible says faith without works is dead. You can listen to the cows come home to what a person says but you watch what they do. And when, they, when the, what they do does not align with what they say, then you have reasons to have some discernment on that individual. And I'm suggesting to you that faith is the most powerful element of our life. It validates our, our Christian experience before other people. And faith is essential to having a relationship with our Heavenly Father. 
In fact, listen to what the Bible talks when it speaks of our faith. In Romans 12, verse three, the Bible says, God has given to each one of us, now listen to the phrasing, the measure of faith. He didn't say a measure of faith, the measure of faith. Now, what did he mean by that? He meant that God has given all of us an equal amount of faith. It did not take more faith for me to trust Jesus as my savior than for you. God doesn't give greater faith to some than he gives to others. What Paul had written in Romans, he said, God gives each of us an equal measure, the measure of faith. And then in Ephesians chapter two, verse eight and nine, I quoted it a moment ago, Paul said it is by that faith through grace that we are made right with God. So understand, Paul talks about grace and faith in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Think about grace this way. Grace is the unmerited favor of God by definition. Grace is God loving us in spite of us. Romans 5, 8, while we were still in our sins, Christ died for us. I've told you Christianity is not behavior modification. God does not change somebody so that he can love them. He loves them so that he can then change them. So he come, we come to him as the hymn says, just as we are without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. We come just exactly as we are. And it, it's God loving us, not because of us, but in spite of us. It's his grace. A great acrostic for grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. That's grace. So God's reaching down a hand of grace. He's willing to receive anyone who will accept him the Bible says in 2 Peter 9, he's not willing that any should perish. He didn't say many, he said any, but that all should come to repentance. And I know sometimes in theological circles, there are those who believe that election means that God just looked down from heaven one day and more or less said any, many, mighty, mo, you go to heaven, to hell you go. <laughs> and that he has predetermined who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. That's not what it means at all. If you're elected, you have to present yourself to be a candidate. God has given us a choice, he's given us a free will. He placed the tree in the garden so that we would choose to love him and not love him because we had no choice. And listen, if you're not free to love someone if you're not free not to love them. So God gave us the choice and so by grace, the grace is God's hand, but faith, listen, faith is our hand. And when the hand of God's grace reaches the hand of our faith, salvation comes about. And God's hand of grace is reaching down to everyone in the room and all who's watching online. And when you finally just reach a hand of faith, and it doesn't take much, you've got enough right now. When you reach a hand of faith and take hold of his hand of grace, you become a Christ follower, you're saved. Second Corinthians 5, 7 said, then once you step through that threshold, we are to live by faith. Faith is a part of our daily life. We live by faith. We don't live by explanations. We live by, by faith. There's an element of uncertainty with the idea of faith because we don't always know exactly what God is doing, but we trust him. That's where our faith steps in. And so we live each life, we live it according to faith. And then Hebrews eleven six, the Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. He didn't say it was just hard. <laughs> he said it's impossible to please God. So if I don't have an element of faith in my life, then I cannot and I will not please God. And the last thing I would say is Romans 14, verse 23, anything that I do that does not involve faith becomes sinful. 
Faith without, if you don't have faith, anything without faith becomes sin. So there is an element of faith that has to be a part of every person's life once you know Jesus as your savior. Listen, it's the secret to his presence, faith. Faith is the secret to his peace. Faith is the secret to his power. (laughs) I'm telling you that everything you and I need this morning, everything we need is tied up in our faith. Now go with me if you have a Bible to Hebrews 11 and let's really kind of launch into the series and let me share a few things before we go home with you that I hope will help you. The Bible says in verse one of Hebrews 11, now faith. One preacher said, that's the only faith that's good. It's now faith, right now faith. Now that's not exactly what that meant, but that's a great thought, right? We have faith right now. Now faith, and underline this word, faith is substance. Faith is the substance of what we hope for and the evidence, underline that word, evidence, evidence, faith is substance, faith is evidence. The evidence of what we do not see, everybody in this room are sitting in chairs that are made up of millions and millions of things that you cannot see. Little molecules and things that hold matter together are made up of so many things that we don't see. And he's saying so many things about our faith are made up of elements that are impossible to see. It's evidence of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for, all of these people that we're gonna be looking at in Hebrews 11. Verse three, by faith we understand. There's the third word. Faith is substance, faith is evidence, faith is something you can understand. We understand that the universe was formed at God's command, and here it is, what was seen is made out of what, are, uh, 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 what was seen was not made out of what was visible. And verse six, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone that comes to God must believe two things. You must believe that he is and that he can do what he said he could do. So that's faith. That's a great description of faith. And I have found that in the description of faith, you find the definition of faith. Remember those three words I said to Mark? Faith is substance, substance. Think about the word substance just for a second. Uh, Break the word apart, sub. Uh, You see a submarine, that is something that goes beneath the surface. Substance, sub, something beneath stance, something upon which you stand. So substance means something beneath me upon which I stand. So faith is something that goes beneath me upon which I stand. So faith, as I said earlier, faith is foundational. It is something I stand on. I'm building my life on my faith. You build your relationships on your faith. You build your families on your faith. Your business, everything a Christ follower does should be built on a foundation of faith. It is substance. It is something under you upon which you stand. It's your go-to. It's what you always return to. I go to my faith. Some of you in this room, uh, some of you in this room this morning can say, Bill, I've gone through things in life that my faith sustained me. My faith got me through, which is the second word, evidence. There's proof all around us. You have proof in your personal life where God came through, where he did not fail, where God proved himself to you in different ways. And so there is evidence and there can be evidence to support our faith. So Paul said faith can be described and understood and defined as substance, as evidence. And then he said it can be understood. Now what is understanding? What is understanding? If you talk to me about ministry and you and I had an understanding of some of the ins and outs of ministry, we could converse intelligently and learn from one another. 
But if you're in a, a field or a business that I have no understanding of, then you're probably not gonna enjoy talking to me about it because you know it's way over my head. I don't comprehend your line of work or what you do. So that's probably not gonna be a connection point because I don't have understanding. So if I'm defining faith with that background, I'm defining faith this way. Faith becomes the truth, the truth under which I uh, stand. Understanding. This is my understanding. This is the truth. This is my knowledge. This is my experience. This is what I understand. Now, my understanding is growing. My faith is growing. Um, I hope I am understanding more about faith than I understood uh, a month ago. I hope my faith is continuing to expand and grow. But it is a description of my faith if my faith gives me a greater understanding. Now, let me give you a really good verse that ties these three things together. Hebrews 13 two verses actually, verses five and six. Hebrews 13, five says, for he has said, and just underline that phrase, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Verse six, underline that phrase, so that we may say, now that's how it reads in my translation, yours may have it a little different, but he has said, so that we may say. So we may say what? The Lord is my helper, I will not fear what, what others can do to me. Now put those two thoughts together. What is faith? Faith is he has said, so that I may say. Faith is not me wishing something to be so, so strongly that it becomes so. You know, it's not magic. Faith is he has said, and because he has said, therefore I may say. You know what happens when I'm exercising my faith? I'm saying what he said. And then he breaks it and gives us the practical illustration. He said, he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And because of that, man, my, once I comprehend that, it gives me something strong to stand on now because my understanding of what he just said is he won't leave me or forsake me. Therefore, verse six, I'm not gonna be afraid. I'm not be afraid what others can do to me. I'm not gonna be fearful for my future. I'm not gonna be worried about things because he will never leave me or forsake me. That's my understanding. I'm standing on that. And there's evidence all around that he will never leave me and he will never forsake me. Are, are you seeing how that works? So you begin to put that together and you begin to understand as a Christ follower, the incredible power that we possess with our faith. And then I, I wanna give you four things that should be in your notes, but four things that really help you flesh out faith in your daily life and understand the enormous power of your faith. The first thing faith will empower you to do, faith will help you to think what others don't think. You can think what others do not think. And can I tell you this morning, the most powerful thing God has given us is our mind the ability to think. So that's why, again, if the devil's gonna assault you, he'll attack your faith, and oftentimes the way he goes after our faith is he will attack our minds. He'll attack how you think. It's the strongest thing God's given us is our minds. Um, think about an animal. If you, if you found a poisonous snake on your patio and you were gonna have to deal with that, it's copperhead, maybe a cotton mouth, maybe a timber rattler, and you were gonna have to deal with that snake. Which end of the snake are you more afraid of? <laughs> right? Why are you afraid of the head, not the tail? Because the head is where the snake's power is. So if you're going to subdue the snake, you have to subdue its head. 
You have to attack it at the point of its strength. You have to take care, a dog, if a dog gets out of control, you take a dog to the vet and the dog loves everybody but your vet. <laughs> and what they will probably do when they get to the vet is muzzle that dog. Why? Because they're going to subdue it at the point of strength. They're not being mean to it. They just know I can't subdue this animal and help this animal if I can't uh, neutralize those teeth. <laughs> so if the devil is going to attack you and he's going to attack me, what's the, what's the point of attack? My mind, our minds. That's why it's so important that we're, that we're careful about how we, how we think about things. Uh, uh, man, have you noticed that problems and pressures get worse at night when you're trying to go to sleep? I'll give you my theory. It's free like the rest of it. Um, I, I think it's because everything around you is quiet. Uh, everything around you is peaceful. There's no noise. And you're just kind of left alone to your thoughts. And, and sometimes that can be a very... A, a very troubling thing. And you become restless because your mind tends to race. And you that's why, have you thought about it? That's why they put prisoners sometimes as a form of punishment in solitary confinement. Because their mind is tortured. And, and one of the worst things you can do to a person sometimes is leave them alone with their thoughts. If their thoughts aren't healthy. And I'm suggesting that the enemy is attacking our thoughts. He's attacking our mind. He's attacking the things that we are thinking about. Think about it this way. How did we come into the world? Most people came into the world head first. <laughs> How do you go from one dimension in life into the next? You go head first. You're here this morning. You're here. You're watching online this morning because you first thought about it. Why? You'll follow your thoughts. You're going in the direction of your mind. Wherever you go, when you leave here, you'll first think about where you're going to go. Let's go here, let's go there, let's go home. What, your mind will lead your thoughts. That's why it's important that we are careful with our thinking, because your thinking is a powerful part of your faith. When you read down in verse 11 of Hebrews 11, you have that great story of Sarah and Abraham. And you remember how God promised Abraham and Sarah that he was gonna bless them with children when they couldn't have kids? And all of a sudden, not only were they challenged with the fact that she was having trouble having children, but Sarah's like, she's close to 90, right? Remember? I mean, I mean, I love, she's 90 years young. But most 90-year-olds will tell you they ain't interested in having kids. But God said, look, you're gonna have a baby. And the first reaction that she had was the reaction some of us had when you think about it, she laughed. That'd been my grandma's reaction. And then after they got past that, they said, man, this is God's word. This is, and you, you know what, what happened? Read verse 11. She believed the God who promised would be the God who was faithful to fulfill it. What happened to her? First and foremost, she had to change the way she thought. She had to change her thinking. And she had to believe that a 90-year-old woman can have a baby if God says she can. <laughs> Because God is able to do what no one else can do. All life's in his hands anyway. All life is sacred. From the point of conception until God calls them home, life is sacred. Life is sacred. And man, when God said, you're going to have a baby, in that moment she changed her mind and realized God is going to fulfill his promise. And I can tell you guys, you have to guard your minds. You can get into this negative way of thinking and you can be drawn in. That's why, you, look, even with, with who you allow, be careful who you allow input into your brain. 
There's people in your life that you minister to, and there's people in your life that will minister to you, and there's people in your life who it will go both ways, and you have to learn the difference. There are people in your life that are they're just, the whole element about them is just so negative that they'll just suck life out of you, and they'll affect your thinking. And the minute you recognize someone like that, you have to say, I love them, I'm gonna pray for them, but I realize I'm gonna be putting more into this relationship than I'll ever get out of it. And as long as you can do that and be healthy, you're fine. But when helping them starts hurting you, that's called setting a boundary. And you gotta do that, why? When it begins to affect your mind. I got people in my profession that I can't hang out with. They're just negative. Yeah, it can't be done anymore. You know, the best days of the church are behind it. This is the days of apostasy. It's all fall. We're going to all die. The world's going to hell. Like, oh, hey, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Before we leave, would you lead us in a word of discouragement? I'm, I'm so depressed right now. Brother needs some help. I'm telling you, that, that, I, I won't even go there. I started to say you can go to a bar and find more joy than you can around some preachers, but I'm not saying that. I'm just suggesting to you, and I'm, suge I'm not suggesting that, but I am suggesting, I am suggesting that it is a way of thinking. It's a way of thinking. You, you gotta bend, you gotta get your head up and realize, man, life is what, living life and life is what you are alive to do. <laughs> and then when joy starts leaving your life, I guarantee you, it starts happening with how you think about what you're going through. How you think about it. So you have to guard your mind. You have to allow your thoughts. In fact, that's why he said in Ephesians 6, 17, you want know part of the, 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 the weapons of our warfare, and we're in spiritual warfare, by the way. Did you know the first thing he talks about is the helmet of salvation? Why? You gotta protect your noggin. <laughs> you gotta protect your head, man. That's so important. You, you gotta, because the enemy's coming, he's gonna get the head shot. So you gotta protect the head. Wear that helmet. Proverbs 23, seven. Solomon said, as a person thinks, so will they be. The late great Vance Havner used to say, you are not what you think you are, but what you think you are. You're the culmination of your thoughts. So think about <laughs> what you think about. In fact, I love that verse, and he talks about how to handle this in 2 Corinthians 10, uh, verse five. He says, bring into captivity every wayward thought. Think about, we have a lot of law enforcement here, and thank God for them. We pray for our law enforcement, we love them. And, but our law enforcement, one of the things they do is they round up wayward people, fugitives, and they bring them into captivity because that wayward thought will harm you and harm someone else. So when you have a thought that goes against God's word for your life, God's will for your life, that could be harmful to you or someone else you love, you're gonna bring that thought into captivity. Don't fantasize about it. Don't entertain it. Because long before you do whatever you think you're going to do, hear how I said that? Long before you do whatever you think you're going to do, you will have processed it in your head. Dress rehearsal. So when you allow your mind to roam over into the world of fantasy and you get into these sins of escapism, that becomes part of your thinking, eventually you're going to go in the direction of your thought. So catch it early. I mean, as Ziegler used to say, do the checkup from the neck up. Bring that thought into captivity. 
and bring it under, arrest that thing, take it down, handcuff it. And let me tell you what was gonna happen to that thought. There'll be a jailbreak at some point. That booger's gonna get out. <laughs> and so you just have to keep arresting it and you have to keep bringing it back because now the devil knows that's a weakness. And so as long as it's a weakness, he's gonna exploit it. So guard your thoughts. Bring your thoughts into captivity. Uh, uh, let me give you this last thought on that thought. <laughs> Uh, uh, Philippians 4, he said, if there's anything positive, if there's anything joyful, if there's anything good, think on these things. Man, you try to, you, you gotta train your mind. The minute you find your mind going in a very negative, very terrible direction, retrain your mind, bring that mind back and, and force your thinking to go in a good direction. Guard your mind. So it's the thoughts You'll think what others don't think. It's what faith will allow you to do. I gotta hurry now. Number two, it will give you the ability to see what others don't see. You can see what others don't see. Um, you know what unbelief does? Unbelief is a lack of faith. Unbelief affects how I see things. Faith, belief, conversely, affects how I see things. Now, let me illustrate it. I'm not gonna illustrate it. Let me describe it. In 1 Samuel 17, you have, remember the story of Goliath going up against the Israelites? You have the battle between the Philistines and the Israelites, and they decide that instead of a bunch of people dying in the valley, that we'll send our strongest warrior out, and he'll face your strongest warrior, and whoever wins, the other side will surrender. Kind of like Zuckerberg and Must, right? <laughs> well, no, not like that, but just so you wake. So he say, okay, here's how we're gonna do this. So Goliath goes out and he starts saying, okay, who's gonna take me on? Come on, where are you guys? They're all hiding in the rocks. They didn't have the faith to believe that they could take him out. Now don't miss this. They saw how much bigger he was than they were. Here's what unbelief will do. Unbelief will cause you not only to think about it in the way you shouldn't, but unbelief will cause you to see things as being bigger than you are. In other words, you'll see the problems you face as being insurmountable. This is bigger than me. I can't do this. I, I, I can't, I, there's no way. I've, I've outpunted my coverage, I'm into something, I can't get out of this. And, and you, you won't see a way out. You know why? You're looking at the wrong thing. You're, you're focused on how much bigger Goliath is than you are. Now let me stop long enough to say, that's true. There's an element to that that's true. That's not a lie. The Bible says Goliath was nearly nine foot tall. That's a big old boy. <laughs> nine foot tall, are you kidding me? And he wasn't just a big dude, he was a warrior. He had never been defeated. I mean, he would just, man, he could just take you out. And so I'm saying what he was seeing, but, but he wasn't seeing through the eyes of faith. He was seeing them in the frailty of his humanity and they were saying, I can't, I can't. Now, what happened when David came on the scene? One of the first things David did when he assessed the situation, understood what was going on, he, makes, he asked this question. He said, is there not a cause? In other words, does God have a purpose in this? Is there a God factor? I mean, is this relationship in trouble? Is God in this? Is this business in trouble? Is God in this? Are my kids twisting off? Is God in this? And God is in this. And so when you face these things that you can't 
think and you don't see clearly, all of a sudden you have to ask, God is in this. Somehow or another, God is in this. And here was the difference between David and his brothers. Instead of David seeing how much smaller he was than Goliath was, he saw, watch this, how much bigger God was than Goliath is. Perspective. See, unbelief, you'll say, oh my God, I, I, I can't do that. This marriage is done. This business is done. Man, there, there's no coming back. I'll never be happy. I won't have joy in my life. I mean, all of a sudden, man, it affects your thinking. It affects, and, and man, when you're right, you go head first. It, it, your thinking affects how you see things. And then before you know it, you're, you're just beat down. And you're not trying anymore. You're not happy anymore. There's no joy anymore because you're seeing how much bigger the challenges of life are than you are instead of seeing how much bigger God is than the challenges of your life are. Faith changes how I see things. Let me help you with your seeing this morning. There's nothing too big for God. There's nothing he can't do. Show me a verse in the Bible where God ever said, go easy on me, you're asking too much of me. Are you kidding me now? There's no sin he can't forgive. You ain't done something God can't forgive. You ain't that bad. Don't try to impress me how bad you are. God couldn't forgive. Oh, well, you bad. <laughs> I can show you some bad boys of the Bible. They've done a lot worse stuff than you've ever done. I'm just saying, bad boy, there's nothing you've done that God will, that there's nothing that he will not forgive. There's no burden. You're not carrying something so heavy that he can't lift it. And there's no problem so complex or convoluted that he can't solve. Nothing he can't do. You gotta change how you think. You gotta change how you see it. And faith gives you the power to do that. When Paul was talking to the Christians in Ephesus about this very thing, he said, and this is really interesting, when he was talking to them about how they were seeing things, in Ephesians 1, verse 18, here's how he said, I pray, listen to this, I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. The eyes of your what? The eyes of your heart. Did you know your heart has eyes? The eyes of your heart may be what? Enlightened. Sometimes we base everything we do on what we see with our eyes. We have eyesight, but some people with great eyesight have no insight, right? Eyesight is what I can see, it's what I can figure out. Instinct is what I can discern, it's wisdom. I, I, know, more pe I, I know people that have more degrees than the thermometer, but they don't know how to get out of the rain. <laughs> and I'm just saying, you can be highly intelligent and have no wisdom. You can have eyesight and see things. Oh, that's, that's how big he is. I can tell you how big I I've got it measured down. I can give you all the data and I can, all, I can show you all of that. They have all this eyesight and their facts are right. They have no insight. And Paul said, man, I need some people with insight. <laughs> I need some people that have some faith to believe God is who he says he is and believes God can do what he says he can do and know there's nothing that you will face in life that you can't get through it, under it, or over it, or around it. And as long as you're alive, God is not finished with you. So don't give in and don't give up and don't give out. Change how you see things and faith gives you the power to do it. Thirdly, not only do you think what others don't think and you see what others don't see, listen, you hear what others don't hear. 
Now, I'm not being all esoterical here. I'm just saying that faith will give you an ability to have a discernment that some people don't have. The Bible talks about the difference between people connected and disconnected. 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says, the natural person, the person without God, doesn't receive the things of the spirit, but the spiritual person does. You're on different frequencies. AM and FM. Satellite radio, you're hearing things that other people don't hear because you live on a different frequency. It doesn't mean that they couldn't hear it, it just means they're on a frequency where they can't hear it. I can tell you this morning, on this stage right now, there are movies happening, there are concerts that are going on, there are a lot of amazing things that are happening right up here while you're staring at me. A lot of other really interesting things are happening other than this. But you can't see it or hear it, why? Because we don't have the ability to capture the signal and interpret it on a screen or through speakers, but the signal's here, we just can't receive it. Well, once a person connects with their heavenly father, they not only can think what others don't think and see what others don't see, but they have an ability now to hear what others don't hear. I mean, remember the story of Samuel when he was living with the prophet Eli, and in the middle of the night, he was awakened by a voice calling out to him. In 1 Samuel 3, he was saying, Samuel, and Samuel thought Eli was calling him, and he says, Eli, what is, what's up? And Eli goes, I didn't call you, go back to bed. He must have been having a dream. Goes back to bed, remember, middle of the night, Samuel, Samuel. He goes into Eli, Eli, somebody's calling me. I'm, I'm swear I'm hearing a voice. And he, oh. he said, next time you hear the voice, Respond this way and say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So the story goes, he goes back to bed, he hears the voice, and he does this, and God spoke a wonderful word into his ear. Now, here's, here's the problem you and I face. The problem you and I face sometimes is when we pray, our prayers go like this. Here's how our prayers go. Listen, Lord, for your servant is speaking. And we seldom pray, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. We say, listen, Lord, your servant is speak. You see the difference? Sometimes, guys, some, listen, sometimes you gotta get along, you have to get away from the noise of life. Have you noticed how noisy life has become? So noisy, busy, everybody's busy. Used to be, man, when somebody needed something from you, they would, they would send you something called a letter. Boys and girls, it's a piece of paper that they would actually take a pen and would write in, watch this, cursive, that's a thing too. Google it. They would write in cursive and they would write. And what you would do typically in business is you might have as much as a week to respond to them, right? Some of you old jokers out there like me, now don't leave me hanging. That's right. They'd send you a note, hey, we need, or they make a phone call on a landline and they would talk to you. And, and uh, here's my point. There was an expectation that there would be a lag of time between the request and the answer, right? It just took time. Uh, now, <laughs> instant messages, if you're not responding within 30 seconds after you get a text, you're not on top of your business. Somebody's gonna be offended. Now I get it, technology, I get it. But how many decisions do we make knee jerk that we don't have time to think through, pray about, and give some time? Sometimes things need to marinate. <laughs> I, I, I found sometimes if I can take a minute, just take a minute and, and let this thing settle a little bit in my mind, Sometimes it comes, did you know I've had people who call me and say, Bill, man, I've got to talk to you, crisis situation. Oh, okay, as quick as we can make this work. Okay, I can be there and you know, give me a couple of days, they'll say, and okay, I'll be there. And they'll, in, invariably, they'll call me, hey man, don't worry about it. Got it worked out, it worked out, it, it worked out. I can't tell you how many times that happens. In the moment, it feels like a crisis, right? 
and you let that puppy marinate a little bit and you let it sell, let those juices get in there, JR. You let that stuff start happening and you, boy, all of a sudden, man, you, it, it's a different thing. You're at a different place, but now everything, we, we're not, I guess we're not giving ourselves time to think. I would tell you guys, every, you ought to spend some time every day in some isolation. So it might be out on the back porch, take a walk in the woods, just get along, just you somewhere where you can think and listen and, and be sensitive to God. Get out on the water, go up into the mountains. Jesus, the Bible says, went aside to a quiet place and rested. He didn't go with his friends. He left them behind. He isolated himself because he needed to think. And one of the things that, that is affecting how we think is we're living in such a noisy world. You need to think about Think about it, rest a little bit. And for God's sake, don't make some decision that could alter your life in a heat of the moment. Give it some time, think about it, pray through it. Here's what you're listening, listening for. You're listening for discernment. You wanna hear, I mean, in Isaiah, you'll hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, Isaiah 30, 21. Here is the way, walk in it. I've told you this before, but it just fits right here. I had a big decision to make one time in ministry, and I, I, I knew what I needed to do. I did not know when I needed to do it. Have you ever had that in your life, your business? Now, and sometimes we don't know what we need to do, and so that's another issue. Gosh, I just don't want to need it. Something needs to happen. I don't know what that is, but something needs to happen. And then once you get through that threshold, and you go, okay, I know what needs to happen. I just don't know when. I don't know when. There's going to be some fallout, some repercussions. It's going to happen. Golly. So you pray for that wisdom. I, I sought counsel one time when a guy adopted as my pastor, Adrian Rogers, and I, I asked him for his advice and opinion on it. Of course, he told me, he goes, Bill, you're flying the plane. I'm in the, I'm in the tower watching you. I can give you your airspeed, your altitude. I can tell you a lot, but you're behind the controls, and at the end of the day, you gotta make that call. And then this was the word he gave me. He said, look, you're praying about this decision. You know what you need to do. You don't know when you need to do it, but here's what I will tell you. When that time comes, are you ready for this? He said, you'll know. I said, that's it? That's it, you'll know. That was his advice, you'll know. And I kind of got off the phone with him. I was like, I was kind of hoping for more. I mean, you know, this guy's forgotten more of the Bible than I'll ever know. Probably the wisest, one of the wisest men I know. You know, he's pastored a church of 24, 25,000 people. He kind of knows what he's doing. So I just, but I'll know. And guess what I did? I prayed about it as often as it came to my mind. I let my mind worry about it, get too preoccupied with it. And one, I, I can tell you this as I'm standing right here. I can tell you one morning I woke up and I knew. I knew. How did I know? I had peace. Complete discernment. <laughs> I said, not only do I know what I need to do, I know it's time to do it right now. That's hearing God's voice. Hearing his voice. You know what happens when the devil gets into your world? The devil will pressure you and he will push you. The Lord will lead you. You know how you're making a good decision? You're led, you're not pushed. Anytime I've been pressured into making a decision, I made the wrong decision. Don't allow anyone or anything to pressure you. Wait till you're led. Sometimes, no, sometimes the best decision is no decision. You, know, you don't get all spiritual on them if they don't understand where you're coming from, but I would say to someone, I hadn't really heard from God on this. 
I don't have discernment on this. I'm not gonna fire back an instant message. I'm waiting till I have peace about this, and when I have peace about it, I'll pull that trigger, but I'm not there yet. That's a safer place to land. It's better to wait till you have that discernment because the enemy will pressure you, push you. God is waiting. He will leave. There's a, there's a, a great verse in, in Isaiah. The, the, the reference slips me, but you could Google it. It says, therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. Wow. That's why I say waiting time is not wasted time. Wait. What are you waiting? I want to hear something. I need to see something. I need to think about something. And here's the last thing. It will give you the power ultimately to do, you can do what others don't do. It gives you the power. You have confidence, you have courage, you can do some things that other people don't do. You know what the difference when people who accomplish great things with their faith and those who don't? It's not favoritism. Remember I told you God doesn't look down from heaven, right? Any, many, many, mo, you go to heaven, hell you go. That's not how he does. He'll bless anybody that's willing to be blessed. Listen to this verse, 2 Peter 1, verse 5. He says this, it opens this way, add to your faith. Add to your faith. Some people live an entire life, their whole life, and they have just enough faith to get them into heaven. But their whole life, really, they haven't accomplished much, achieved much. Is it because God favors the achievers more than the, no. God will bless anybody that puts themselves in a position to be blessed. He'll bless you according to your ability and your talent and the way he's gifted you. I get that. But he'll still bless you. But the reason is God blesses some and he doesn't seem to bless others is they don't add to their faith. Listen to Matthew 12, 53. He, speaking of Jesus, did not do many mighty works among them. Here it is, because of their unbelief. They didn't believe he would, so he didn't. They didn't believe he could, so he didn't. You know what I think God's looking for with his people in this crazy world we're living in? Some people to believe that he's big enough to do everything he's capable of doing. I don't wanna be limited. We serve an unlimited God. There's so many hurting people out there in our world, folks. There's so many people that have so many needs and I want our church to be discerning and to be perceptive of how God could uniquely help us and position us in a way to help people. And some of you have creative ideas. God's brought you into this family because you bring something to us we didn't have till you got here. And God may be bringing your gifts and callings and your abilities to help us uh, identify and help us address something that we're missing right now. I'm just saying I can't imagine how much potential this church could possess if everybody just said, by the grace of God, I'm gonna think what others don't think and I am going to do what others don't do and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to speak and I'm going to live like others don't live because I'm gonna put faith into my daily practice and I'm gonna believe God. What potential? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. You said in Isaiah, your word doesn't come back empty. It never returns void. And I pray, Lord, all of us can take something away from this time in this room that will help us be better in business, in our families, in relationships. Help us to realize the incredible power that our faith possesses. And to realize, Lord, you've put us on this earth to make a difference. So Lord, help us to go forth and be willing to do some big things. 
because we serve a big God. I pray for anyone in the room or anyone watching you, they may never have trusted you as savior. I pray this might be the moment right where they are, where they swallow their pride and they say, Lord Jesus, with everything I know about me, I now trust all I know about you. Come into my heart, forgive my sin. That's my prayer in Jesus name, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.